Johnny Mac, I think the world of that man. Sheriff was like my uncle. Yeah, I thought the world of him. I always did. I met the sheriff before, and I met him, talked to him a lot, but while he was running for sheriff, and I asked him, you know, if he would please let me come to work for him. I don't know how I got there. I just, <laughs> I ended up there. I don't know how it was, but anyway, I ended up at the sheriff's office when, when the sheriff went in. If they'd hire me back, I'd go back today. That was my whole life, and, and those guys over there that I worked with, they were my family. That to this day, I'd get up in the middle of the night and go help any of them. I'd do anything in the world for them. I'd love them to death. Once I got in there and the sheriff was good enough to give me a job, I tried to do as good a job as I could do. And a lot of it was based on, on, on Frank. I wanted to work narcotics and I worked my hind end off. I lived it every day. And I won an Officer of the Year, Frank Liberal Memorial Awards. And when he got killed, that was just devastating to me. When we went to the funeral, most of the narcotics guys rode with me, rode in the patrol car with me to the funeral. I was really close to those guys. John Belt, you know, all those guys were just, John, I can tell you, the, the, the story of John Belt was one of his own. And I'd be out here on, at night on the third shift, checking the buildings. And here comes this guy. Every time we'd go somewhere to eat breakfast, you know, it was the Waffle House or whatever was open out there. He'd come in. We'd get ready to leave, you know. He'd sit down and talk. Hey, how y'all doing? You know, boy, little blonde-headed guy, you know. He'd start talking, shooting the bull. We'd get ready to leave and go up there. She said, he's already paid for it. I said, he who? He's that blonde-headed guy, he's, he's already paid for it. And he'd be gone. And he did that all the time. I mean, and I, he came in there one day and I said, look, do me a favor. Don't pay for my lunches no more, okay? I mean, I appreciate it, but... You know, don't do that. You know, he goes, well, I just want to help you out, you know. Well, he started riding this motorcycle. I'd be out here on a call, and this blonde-headed dude would ride by on this little old motorcycle. Yeah, you know, and it was John Belt. You know, we'd get a call. He had a scanner or something on that thing. I don't know how he'd done it. I could get a burglary call, and he'd be there before I was, you know, riding around out there. And I'd go, this guy's a nut. And, uh, so he kept telling me he wanted, he really wanted to get into this stuff. So I told Miles and Al, I said, look, I got this guy, you know, y'all might want to talk to him. I don't know. I mean, nobody would ever believe he was a cop if y'all ever want to use him. Cause I mean, there's just no way. When you meet him, you'll see what I'm talking about. I said, he might could help y'all some. I said, but personally, I think he's a nut. So I introduced him to him and that's how John Belt got to be out there with him. And he was out there every time you saw him, he was right there with him. And it turned out he was, it turned out to be a really good friend of mine. <laughs> JB was all right. He was, really, he was a character. When I was with them, you know, we'd be over on White Horse Road or 253 or somewhere back over in West Greenville all the time, you know. And so that's how I got to know a lot of this stuff by listening to them and, you know, and stuff. But I got to meet some of them because they met them all the time, you know. They just, Friendship Lounge over there at 253, I mean, that was a big hangout. And Miles and, and them and Al was, Al was a great cop. 
know, real aggressive cop. I mean, real aggressive. If he was, he was unreal. They just blast in there, you know what I mean? That's just the way they were, you know? And I'd go with them and I'd get, I got to meet a lot of these guys, you know? I remember seeing them and stuff back then. Who are some of the guys you remember? Eddie Williamson, Country Small, you know, Jackie Delt. I knew Jackie, I knew Jackie Delt. He, if he walked up, he'd say, hey Danny, how you doing? You know, he knew me. He broke in the pharmacy over there and the, he was in jail. We took his, the girl that married him and they asked me, said, will you go over to the detention center, take her over there? I, yeah, so I walked her over there and walked her in. They got married and he went back up the steps and I brought her back out. We ended up getting her. She got delivery of uh, marijuana through UPS and UPS found it somehow or another. I don't know how they found it. Box come open something. And they, you know, and they have a right, I guess, to check them when they're open like that. And this big, big pile of pot in there, I think it was from Texas. So we put, I think it was Pete Wilbanks, I'm pretty sure it was Pete Wilbanks. We put Pete in a little brown truck with him. He rode down there, carried it up and delivered it to her. We went right in behind him and got her. I went and bought me a pistol like Frank's. You know, I just, not that I wanted to be him, I just, he was just really impressed me as a, he was a good guy, he's a good cop. And he was dedicated, and I guess that's why I tried to do it the way I thought he would have done it. If they said they were selling, I'd go find out. And that's just the way it was, and I wouldn't, I wasn't smart enough to be scared, I reckon. So I remember them saying that like back then, the, the, the normal issue service weapon was different than the one he got, he had. Oh yeah. So the Smith & Wesson? Yeah, it's right a Smith and Wesson Model sixty six. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we weren't supposed to be carrying that stuff. You know, we had a little Model ten thirty eight or two inch thirty eight, something like that. But these were three fifty sevens. But you know, we were carrying thirty eight ammunition in them and stuff. You know, but and they were stainless. The Model sixty six had just come out. He had one, so I had to have one. I think Miles ended up getting one. How long did you hold on to it? God, for years, yeah. years and years and years. In fact, I probably. I look at them now at Cabela's all the time yeah. I see them, and I, I'd love to have another one just like it. That, to me, that was just, I had a gun like Frank. It may have been you that told me that, that, that he didn't keep a ton of paperwork because he didn't. From, from what I understand, and a lot of that comes from Miles and all, and Al and all of them, and I remember he, he didn't write a lot of stuff, and he kept it in his head, from what I understand. I mean, I don't know a lot about it, because... The short time that I was around him, it, it kind of keeps me from knowing a lot of stuff. But, I, you know, I, those, were, those guys were good friends of mine. Miles and Al and Ken and John Bell, all of them. There. Dan Howell worked with them probably more than, a lot more than I did. They were around them all the time. And I, after this thing happened, this, you know, they said, you know, the only fault that Frank had is he kept, he, was, he never wrote anything. He kept, it, he kept it to himself. He kept everything he was doing to himself until the time to to do it and that was that might have been something that you know it might have been a benefit if you know if we could have found something somewhere yeah. you know that and i'm sure he, you know he did his basic stuff but i mean as far as writing down things that he probably should have he kept it to himself and i, I think he was, he was real secretive about stuff he said you got uh, some pictures 
Yeah, yeah, I got some right, stuff up there. That's when we first started. That's Harold Lee right there. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, and he don't look like that now. Steve Lindsay, yes. Thomas Downs, that was my sergeant, and that was Fred Carter. These two guys right here, they're like my brothers. That is my family. It's dirty in the mouth. Yeah, it fine. stays in an old desk drawer. Guess almost looked like a, a 70s rock country band. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else said that. So Y'all look like Leonard Skinner. <laughs> it was a guy named J.R. Wright. Uh, J.R. was big time cocaine dealer. Now you're getting into stuff that we busted in. Uh, he goes before the judge. He gets like seven years probation. He gets busted six months later with another bunch of cocaine and a machine gun. He gets a bunch of probation again. They had a big pig picking up in the mountains. I wish I still had those photographs. We went up there to, to get pictures of these guys because it's supposed to be every outlaw in the country was gonna be there. Well, we get up there, we got a horseshoe pit set up out there. JR's at one end, that judge is at the other, pitching horseshoes. But that's me right there in the back. But that means the world. The sheriff was good enough to give me an opportunity to do that. You know, I just, and I, I lived it every day of my life. I mean, I, I'd sleep in the car. I'd sleep over there in the office waiting mm -hmm. on somebody to call. I mean, I just, I think about it every day. I, I see the guys out on the road. And when I see stuff on television and things, it's something I've never been able to get away from, even though I got away from.